Over the course of the last year and a half, many of us have experienced unprecedented and unparalleled pain, loss, chaos, and devastation in several areas of our lives. Some have suffered the loss of their health. Some have suffered the loss of loved ones. Some have suffered the loss of relationships. Some have suffered the loss of so many other things, including some of the events and the opportunities that we used to take for granted and never dreamed could just simply be taken away just like that, but they have been. We've, in real recent history and even some ongoing now, we've got wildfires out to the west of us that are threatening whole communities, causing evacuation of entire communities. To the south and the east of us, we've got floods that have left many homeless, hopeless, many dead and more rain on the way, apparently, from what I saw yesterday on one of the weather channels. It's a time in our lives when there are uncertainties about our future that, in some cases, rival wartime worries about the future. But despite the absolute worst that this earthly life can throw at us, despite the absolute worst that this earthly life and even this earthly death can muster up and throw at us, we who are in Christ and walk by faith and not by sight have a living hope. We have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is incorruptible, undefiled, and that does not fade away, that is reserved in heaven for us, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In that, we greatly rejoice. Though now, for a little while, if need be, we've been grieved by various trials. That the genuineness of our faith, being much more precious than gold, though gold perishes through fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom we have not seen, but we sure do love. Though now we don't see him, yet believing, we rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of our faith, which is the salvation of our souls. First Peter, chapter th one, three through nine. Brethren, it's that living hope that you and I have that serves as the sure and steadfast anchor for our souls in all kinds of storms, in all storms that we will encounter. It is our living hope in the living Son of the living God that is our anchor in times like these. Our anchor is in Jesus Christ. Our anchor is in he who is the first and the last, he who lives and was dead and behold is alive forevermore and who holds the keys of Hades and death, Revelation 1, 17 and 18. Our hope is in Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, the co-creator of the cosmos, the master of the seas, 
and the stopper of the storm. Our hope is in Jesus, who stilled the storm with but a word. Our hope is in Christ, who asked his own disciples in the midst of one of their life-threatening storms at one point, why are you afraid, O ye of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. Matthew chapter 8 and verse 26. So the question that I pose to all of us tonight, actually the questions, plural, are these. Are you firmly anchored to Jesus Christ? What exactly does that mean? How exactly is that done? And what exactly does it look like when we are? I want to begin this lesson by considering what an anchor is and what an anchor symbolizes. In the Greek and Roman classics, and also, and also on ancient coins, by the way, that's supposed to be a denarii that was unearthed. It's on ancient coins that the anchor is often used as an emblem of hope. The United States Marine Corps emblem, the eagle, the globe, and the anchor is there. And again, you can see the anchor. And it, it should be easy for us as Christians to remember that an anchor is an emblem of hope. And here's why. It should be easy. I love this. It should be easy for us to remember that the anchor is an emblem of hope. And we're going to see in the scriptures that it is. You know why it should be so easy? Here's why. Because, as you can see, I cropped the picture. What does that look like? It looks like a cross, right? You put a smile under a cross, what do you got? You got an anchor. An anchor is an emblem of hope that smiles at the future because of the cross of Jesus Christ. In the world, too, an anchor is an emblem of hope. Socrates said, to ground hope on a false assumption is like trusting in a weak anchor. But to the Christian, to the Christian who is anchored to the everlasting rock, to the Christian who is anchored in Christ Jesus, he comes to us in the midst of our storm. To him, the worst of storms is but a sunny summer sidewalk. It is his path, his stepping stone, as we saw in Scripture in Matthew 14, 25 through 27, when he came to his disciples walking on the water and said, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. It might as well have been a stroll right down this carpet because he was in complete control and authority, even in their storm as he walked to them. I want for us to take a, take a closer look tonight at our sure and our steadfast hope, which serves as the anchor of our souls in Scripture. Please open with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. Let's take a look at this anchor in Scripture. Hebrews chapter 6 begins, I want to begin, in verse 10. It says there in verse 10, For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love which you have shown toward his name, in that you have ministered to the saints, and do minister. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish, 
but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Verse 12 talks about how some may have become or were becoming sluggish and impatient in their lives. They had drifted away or were drifting away from what they heard in the midst of their storms. Hebrews 2, 1 through 4 talks about those who've drifted away. It's not that the rock, Jesus Christ, wasn't strong enough to hold them. That's not the problem. It wasn't that their anchor wouldn't hold. That wasn't the problem. The problem was they'd cut loose from their anchor. That was the issue. And they were beginning to drift. They had turned loose of the Lord and were turning back into the world, right into the face of the storm through which they had no protection. Listen, that's who the book of Hebrews is written to. The book of Hebrews is written to a people that are getting ready to jump ship. They are getting ready to quit on Jesus. They're thinking of giving up the ship in the face of the overwhelming storms. And they had some overwhelming storms they were facing. Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 39. But to make it through the storm successfully means we must be well anchored, and that means that we must have patient endurance. Listen, it's, it's not a lot of fun when the waves are coming over the front of the boat. It can be a very chaotic time when everything in your world is just crashing and the waves are high and the storm is raging. But we must be patient if we're anchored to the rock of ages in order that we might obtain the promises. Look at the next few verses in Hebrews 6, verse 13 and following. For when God made a promise to Abraham because he could swear by no one greater. He swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. And so after he had patiently endured. It didn't just happen like that for Abraham. We talk about Abraham, the father of the faithful, and we talk about him from Romans, and we talk about him from James on Wednesday nights. Listen, it didn't just happen like that for Abraham. Abraham had to have some patience. Some time went by. The storm raged for a while with Abraham. But it says here in verse 15, and so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. God wants you to know tonight, and everybody watching this, God wants you to know right here from Hebrews just how immovable, how immutable, and how invincible your anchor of hope is when it is embedded in him. Verses 16 through 18. For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. Thus God, determining, God was determined to show this, God determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise, that's you and me, the immutability, that is the impossibility of failure of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of that hope that is set before us. That phrase in verse 18, strong consolation. The word strong, according to Strong's outline of biblical usage means, used of one who has strength of soul to sustain the attacks of Satan. The word consolation in verse 18, strong consolation, 
could just as easily be translated encouragement. We have this, this, this strength of soul to persevere against the attacks of Satan because of the encouragement that we have knowing what God promised us. That is the hope we have as an anchor for our souls. It is our unfailing trust in God's infallible promises which anchors our souls in the worst of storms no matter what we're going through. Verses 19 and 20, this hope, that hope we just described, that hope he just wrote about, this hope we have. It's not something we're going to have. It's not something we might have. It's not something that possibly we'll have. We have it. This hope we have. Is that what it says? That's what it means, because that's what it says. This hope we have right now, tonight, as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil, into God's very presence, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. That is where the strength of a child of God lies. That's where we're anchored. That is what sets the child of God apart from every other human being on the planet. We live, brethren, we gotta get this, we gotta understand this picture. We live in the presence and the shelter and the power and the promises of God. We live anchored to God who can calm any storm or can calm any child and let the storm rage. That is where we as children of God are anchored and abide no matter the storms or the difficulties that we might face in this life. We know, we, we know, we know based on the unbreakable, unshakable, unalterable promises of God that he will never leave us or forsake us. True or false? The scripture says that, we know that. Hebrews chapter 13, verses five and six, that he will never leave nor forsake his faithful people. Does that mean in the storms too? That means especially then. When everybody else jumps ship, Jesus ain't gonna. We know, based on the unbreakable promises of God, that even in the midst of the most fiery infernos, he will walk through it with us, Daniel chapter three. We know, based on scripture, 1 John four and verse four, that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. We know, according to Romans 8, 28, that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We know that we must therefore walk by faith and not by sight, 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. Christians have got to understand that Jesus Christ is the rock of our salvation. That he is the anchor point in all of our storms. And you know what? He is absolutely invincible. Is that right? Is Jesus invincible? Death couldn't keep him down. He said, I will raise this body up. Death itself, the biggest thing that mankind has always had. Jesus said, no, I lay it down and I take it up again. Jesus is invincible and we are, we are anchored to him and that is our hope no matter the storm. Therefore, as the writer of Hebrews wrote in Hebrews 10 and verse 23, Christians must understand in all circumstances that they have to hold fast the confession of their hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. 
We can't give out, we can't give up, we can't give in, we can't jump ship, even in the worst of storms. And when the night is the darkest, the waves are the highest, and the storm is the strongest, we will not run, row, retreat, or jump ship, because we're anchored to Jesus Christ. When all else fails and our lives fall apart, we look to the cross, and we know no matter what, how much we mean to God, as Mark did such a nice job with last week from Romans 8, 31 through 39. We know how much we matter to God. There's a lot of lives that we could examine in the scriptures which would, which would show us this. And again, Mark mentioned a few last week. There are a lot of lives which illustrate the triumphs and the tragedies of those who stood strong in the Father in the face of life and death circumstances, life-altering circumstances, spiritual life and death cyclones, and even seemingly sudden death scenarios. One of those great men, servants of God, is the Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 11. We could talk about him. We could talk about Moses and Abraham and the other great heroes of the faith from Hebrews 11. Could talk about Jesus Christ, the son of the living God himself while he was here on earth. But there's another life I want for us to examine tonight. There's another life that I want us to look at that experienced many ongoing, life-altering, even life-threatening storms and his responses to them. I want us to look at his responses to those circumstances, what it meant to him being anchored in God. We're going to look briefly, very briefly, at some of the ups and downs, some of the terrible storms in the life of David and his response to them as he was anchored to God. You know, if we look at David's life real close, it will reveal some of the most incredible struggles that a human being can face. It rivals the Apostle Paul from 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And I'm just going to run through these, not give you a lot of scripture references. You know the stories of David's life. There's a part of this I want to get to, but I want you to first consider the storms, some of the storms in his life, just a few, just a, just a little bit. Consider, after doing nothing but the good and godly and right and faithful thing in facing and defeating the giant Philistine Goliath, Immediately thereafter, or in the years that followed, David is summarily hunted, hounded, and harried for most of his young life for doing nothing more than having a heart after God. David simply was doing it right, and Saul was out to kill him. Only because of his love for and successful service to God, David became a hunted fugitive. He was even forced to flee from his own house in the middle of the night, leaving his wife and home behind. Now listen, as we talk about some of these Bible people, they're real historic people. Listen, did David really live? Was David a man? Did he have hurts and doubts and fears and he didn't have a cape and tights and couldn't leap tall buildings in a single bound? That isn't who David was. David was a man like us, 
Elijah was a man like us, James said. God used real people that had real pain, real problems, real storms, just like yours and mine. And David was one of those. How many of you husbands can imagine having to get up in the middle of the night and leave your wife and your house behind because there were men surrounding your house that were going to kill you at dawn? You don't know what's going to happen to your wife, but you have to run for your life. David did that. 1 Samuel 19, 11 through 17. David sought aid amongst some of his friends and those who aided him. When he fled, were soon slaughtered, including the men, women, and children of the city in 1 Samuel 21 and 22. And David had to live with that. Put that on your conscience. He went to them for help. Saul showed up kills not only the priests, but the men, the women, and the children of the city. And David, their only crime was they'd help David, and David had to live with that. Again, 1 Samuel 21 and 2. He himself had to hide in caves to stay one step ahead of the bloody sword of Saul. He even had to pretend insanity at one point in the face of a foreign enemy whose mercy he was at. Some would say, well, yeah, I've never had to do that, but, but David doesn't know what it's like to lose a close friend. Oh, yeah, he did. David lost his best friend to death in battle when Jonathan died, one to whom the scripture said his soul was knit. Their souls were knit together. They were the closest of friends. And he lost him to death in battle. Later, David committed adultery and became a totally broken man, and he is reduced. Here's this king, here's David. And he is reduced as a broken man to begging and pleading, crying to God not to leave his sin unforgiven and his relationship with God broken. This man faced it all. How could he possibly make it through some of these things? He did something that's one of the hardest things in the world to do. Granted, it was his own fault, but still, he lost a child to death. That's one of the hardest things for a parent to do in this entire world. During his lifetime, he also experienced the tragedy of having former friends betray him and his God. As he talks about those who used to go up to the house of God to worship with him, together had turned on him and become his enemies in Psalm 55. David talked about that. In his own immediate family, you know, some of us, <laughs> some of us have problems with our kids, with our adult kids, okay? Some of us do. And you know, David was a real parent with that same problem. David even amongst his own immediate family, his very own sons and daughters. There was rape, there was incest, there was murder, and there were many other disasters and calamities among his own kids. Even to the point that his son Absalom was so, so jealous of him that his son Absalom started a civil war and sought to take his father's life. I mean, it's one thing when your adult son or daughter may not think that you're the greatest dad in the world, but I mean, come on, kill you? Yeah, that's what Absalom wanted to do. Question tonight, how did David do it? How did he endure it? How did he make it through all that? How, how did he survive that? Again, he wasn't Superman. 
How did he survive, endure, and overcome all of those horrific storms of life so successfully? How do we? The answer is very simple. He was anchored to the rock, and he never let go. Despite his own failings, he never let go of God. We see this in the Psalms he wrote under some of the very circumstances that we just mentioned. Turn with me tonight to the book of Psalms and look at just, just, some, just a brief look at some of these Psalms that David wrote as he's, as he's in the midst of some of those storms. As he's pleading with God to get him through them and, and some of the things he said and some of the insight, how he was anchored to that rock and that's what carried him through, even all those things we just talked about. Turn with me to Psalm 18, let's begin there. And, and we'll go up through a few here, we'll keep them right in order, we'll make it easy. But brethren, we gotta understand anchored to the rock because if not, the storm's gonna kill us. Psalm 18. Look at the introduction. One of the very circumstances we talked about. Some Bibles will put a little introduction in. Mine does. I want to read it to you. It says, To the chief musician, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He had been harried by Saul. And on the day God delivered him, this is what he wrote. And, and look, at the, look at the words. Look at strength and rock and refuge and shield and, and how that anchor chain is just strong to God. He said in verse one, I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. Was David chained to the rock good? Yeah, the links on that thing were about, you know, that big around, right? Okay, I mean, he was anchored. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. And then he tells you what dire straits he was in. And we think of some of the storms that we go through. He says, the pangs of death surrounded me. I was close to death. And the floods of ungodliness made me afraid. It was just, it was this, this, this flood. And, and we've had floods again, this storm that just came through the southern, southern part of the U.S. The, the floods and the floodwaters and, and some of these people, even as far north as, as New York City, living in these basement apartments, were flooded and, and died. And, and David says, he says, the floods of ungodliness, just, just you can imagine, just sweeping in, sweeping to overwhelm, made me afraid, David said. This is the man who faced Goliath. This is the man who had victory after victory against God's enemies. And he said, I was afraid. The sorrows of Sheol surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. I was near dying, he says. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. I cried out to my God. He heard my voice from his temple, and my cry came before him even to his ears. He said, God's my rock, and I'm still anchored. Look with me in verses 28 through 32 of this same psalm, and look what he says. He says, for you will light my lamp. The Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. Now remember, some of the dire straits he's just talked about in the beginning of this psalm, now look what he says in verse 29. For by you I can run against the troop. By my God I can leap over. Maybe he could leap over tall buildings. 
figure of speech. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to all who trust in him. David said, the word of the Lord is proven. He said he'd be my rock, and he was. He said he'd be my fortress, and he is. He said he'd be my strength, and he is. He is a shield to all who trust in him. For who is God except the Lord, and who is a rock except our God? It is God who arms me with strength and makes my way Perfect. And finally, verses 35 and 6 says, You have also given me the shield of your salvation. Your right hand has held me up. Your gentleness has made me great. You enlarged my path under me so my feet did not slip. David would go on to tell us where his strength lay to get through so many of those things, whether it was family calamity or whatever it was. He tell us we have nothing to fear if, as long as the Lord is the strength of our lives. Turn with me to Psalm 27 and look at the first five verses. Again, Psalm 27, the first five verses. A Psalm of David. Look what he says. And this wasn't just every time with something great going on. This was in the storm. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in you. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. Indeed, let no one who waits on you be ashamed. Let those be ashamed who deal treacherously without cause. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth. Teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. On you I wait all the day. David said, I'm staying locked in. Psalm 28, just verses 7 and 9. Look at these, 7 through 9. Psalm 28. Verses seven through nine, this needs to be our anchor. He says, the Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in him and I am helped. Notice the tenses. My heart trusted, past tense, in him and I am currently helped. Therefore, my heart greatly rejoices and with my song I will praise him the Lord is their strength. He is the saving hope of his anointed. But we must stay anchored without wavering. And if we do, just look at the blessing in, in the 29th Psalm, verses 10 and 11. Psalm 29, 10 and 11. Look, look at the blessing if we stay anchored. The Lord sat enthroned at the flood. When the floodwaters came up in Noah's day, couldn't have been anything much scarier than that. When those floodwaters came up, if you weren't in the ark and you fled and the waters kept coming and you climbed the mountains and the waters kept coming and you tried with your family to escape and there was no escape and there was no place to go, nothing could have been much scarier. But he says, even then, while all of that chaos was going on, the Lord sat enthroned at the flood. Did, did, was the Lord still on his throne? Is he still on his throne tonight? Despite the troubles of this world, is he still on his throne? Even when it comes crashing in like a flood, is he still on the throne? Even when health problems and all these other issues come up, is he still on the throne? David said, yeah, he is. Yeah, he's there. The Lord sits as king forever. Yes, he's still there. The Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. Even in the storm I'm going through, Lord, yes. Even in the storm you're going through. Look at how David bookends Psalm 31. Look at the first four verses of Psalm 31. In you, O Lord, I put my trust. 
Let me never be ashamed. Deliver me in your righteousness. Bow down your ear to me. Deliver me speedily. Be my rock of refuge, a fortress of defense to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. Therefore, for your name's sake, lead me, guide me. Pull me out of the net which they've secretly laid for me because you're my strength. And then the other end of this, verses 23 and 24, as he wraps up, look at the other bookend. He says, Oh, love the Lord, all you his saints, for the Lord preserves the faithful. If you don't have that highlighted or underlined, maybe you ought to, the Lord preserves the faithful and fully repays the proud person. Be of good courage. I hope when you leave here tonight, after you look at some of this, I hope you will leave here and you will be of good courage. I know there's storms out there. I'm not belittling anybody's storms. Everybody's got a storm. Everybody does. But I'm telling you right now, God said, you be of good courage. Be of good courage. Stay anchored to me. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart, all you who hope in the Lord. It says all those who hope in the Lord will have their heart strengthened if they're of good courage, if they stay anchored to him. I want some of that. God said you can have it. Just don't let go. Don't let go. In all the enemies he faced, in all the circumstances he was forced to flee, look at where his strength to overcome was found. Psalm 56. 56. Verses 3 through 11. In all of those terrible things that happened to him, look at where he found his strength. <clears throat> David, again, the one who defeated Goliath and so many of God's enemies, great in battle. He feared at times. He said, whenever I am afraid, whenever. Doesn't matter what storm is, what circumstances is, what time it is, how old in my life I am, how mature I am. Whenever, whenever encompasses it all. Whenever I am afraid. I will trust in you. In God, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not fear. What can flesh do to me? All day they twist my words. Their thoughts are against me for evil. They gather together. They hide. They mark my steps. They lie in wait for my life. Shall they escape by iniquity? Verse 8. You number my wanderings. Put my tears into your bottle. Are they not in your book? When I cry out to you, then my enemies will turn back. This I know because God is for me. In God I will praise his word. In the Lord I will praise his word. In God I have put my trust. I will not be afraid. David was anchored. And it didn't matter what Absalom did. It didn't matter what the Philistine leaders did. It didn't matter what anybody did. David got through the storm because his anchor held. Psalm 59. Notice the introduction, if you have one in your Bible. Mine reads, and again, this is not divinely inspired, these little headings. It just tries to give you just a little bit of background. It says, to the chief musician set to do not destroy, a victim of David when Saul sent men and they watched the house in order to kill him. You remember a few minutes ago, I talked about him having to leave the house in the middle of the night, leave his wife and his home there, remember that? This is believed to have been written during that time. And just notice briefly with me, verses 14 through 17, what he says. At evening they return, they growl like a dog. 
They go all around the city. They wander up and down for food and howl if they are not satisfied. They were going to surround and take David and take his life. What's David going to do? How do you get through? How do you get through something like that? He got through it the same way that Paul and Silas did in Acts 16. He sang God's praise. That's what he says. He says, but I will sing of your power. I'll sing aloud of your mercy in the morning, for you have been my defense and refuge in the day of my trouble. He didn't say you've been my, my defense and my refuge when everything's great. He didn't need one then so much. But you've been my defense and my refuge in the day of my trouble. To you, O oh my strength, I will sing praise. God is my defense, my God of mercy. The Psalms are full of this. They are validation of the strength of David's anchor. I, I, I hope if you're taking notes, you go home. But for time's sake, I'm not going to read it. Psalm 62, 1 through 8. And Psalm 68, 32 through 35 only continue. Brethren, we have got to understand that when we are in the middle of the worst of worldly storms, when we are facing the most fiery, howling, horrible hurricanes out of hell itself, if that's the case, that Jesus is right there in the middle of it with his children. Maybe hell. Maybe any one of those storms. But as long as we are anchored to and trusting in him, he is there in the midst of it with us. Psalm 46. I love Psalm 46, verses 1 and 2. I remember sending this to Kristen Rowell several days ago. God is our refuge and our strength. A very present help in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the mountains be taken up and cast into the heart of the sea, as Psalm 118, 1 through 9 informs us, there is nothing else, nowhere else, and no one else that is a safe, secure, and sure strength in the storm. That's why so many people in this world are hurt and they don't know where to turn. They don't know what to do. The storms keep coming and keep sinking them and they're, they're on their last legs and they don't know what to do because they don't anchor to Jesus. There is no other reliable refuge and guaranteed deliverer in which we can trust to make it through the storm and all the way into our heavenly home. We who are in Christ have an anchor. An anchor that keeps the soul keeps us going, keeps us afloat, and keeps us strong and secure no matter the storms we have to face and go through in this life. In John chapter 14, verse 27, and in John 16 and verse 33, both of which we've covered not too long ago in the adult Sunday morning class, Jesus promised his disciples who would hold fast to him that they could have a peace that passed their understanding, even while enduring some of the most trying times the world could hurl at them. In the world, you will have tribulation, but be of good courage. I've overcome the world. He said, yeah, you're going to have problems, but you stay anchored to me. I've overcome the world. Aren't you grateful to be a Christian? In this world we live in, aren't you grateful to have Jesus? The question as we close tonight is,
do you? Because sometimes we as Christians lose sight of, of who Jesus is. We lose sight of, of certain things and, and the storm blinds us like Peter took his eyes off the Lord for a minute and began to sink as he looked at the storm. The question for us is, do you have that peace tonight in the midst of your storm? Is the joy of the Lord your strength tonight? Nehemiah 8.10. Is the Lord Jesus Christ your strength, your shield, your stronghold? Are you anchored to the solid rock that is Christ Jesus, firmly anchored according to the scriptures? Are you? Are you a bona fide, born again, biblically baptized for the forgiveness of your sins member of the one family or flotilla of the living God? And if you are, are you walking by faith instead of by sight? If the answer to any of those questions is no, you're in a dark place. You're in a tough place. You're in a bad place. Matter of fact, you're in a really life and death dangerous place. For all intents and purposes, as we talked about this morning, if, if the answer to any of those questions is no, if you don't have that peace or that joy, if he's not your strength or shield or stronghold, if you're not firmly anchored, if you're not walking by faith instead of by sight, if the answer to any of those is no, for all intents and purposes, like we talked about this morning, it's Tuesday morning, September the 11th, 2001, and you're in the elevator. It's 8 a.m. Bad things are about to happen. Might I strongly encourage you not to delay, but to flee right now, right now, flee for refuge to the hope set before you in Christ, anchored to Christ, the one hope that will hold us against all these storms. He's it. If you would be baptized and into Christ, or if you need the prayers of the church to be more firmly anchored in your storms, don't go out that door and let the storm beat you up anymore. Come forward right now and get the help you need as we stand and sing.